I've also had a lot of experiences on all sorts of drugs on LSD, San Pedro, ayahuasca, where I see um, a lot of vulvas, or I see a lot, like I see psychedelic visions of vulvas, vaginas, um, even sex, pornographic images. And that's also very powerful. And I've spoken to one of the uh, men I was sitting with recently in an ayahuasca ceremony. He, in the integration session, said that he had seen vaginas with teeth. And, mm. and it was really fascinating. But I think that the, the vulva is, a, is an image that, is, that comes up for across culture, across gender, across sex, for a lot of people. So I do think that there's that that's it, it, it's a symbol that's very important to the psychedelic experience and that's also something hi and welcome to psychonaut sisters This might be the last time you ever hear me do one of these intros because I find them super awkward and um, will start doing interviews better so that we can just jump straight in. But for now, I just wanted to come in here to introduce this episode's guest. Um, I first kind of read Erica's work um, about a year ago when I was writing um, about psychedelics and interested in 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 this in this field of psychedelics and gender especially the intersection intersection between psychedelics and gender um and erica was one of the people that i found who was also writing about this and um, so i got in touch with her to ask her if she would come on the podcast but she was going through some interesting life ups and downs which we cover in the, this episode and so this is the fruition of of that conversation that early conversation a year ago so um erica is a writer um she writes about psychedelics and specifically microdosing and she we speak about that also in the podcast and she also used to work at clue which is um an app for tracking menstrual cycle which i use um and it's a really useful app so this conversation we talk a lot about the, we kind of speculate on the interactions between uh, menstrual cycle and experience tripping um, on ayahuasca specifically, but also other psychedelics. Um, the symbol imagery of the vagina and the vulva when you're tripping, um, relationship with the body um, and how that relates to the trip space and um, loads of stuff and if you get to the end of the episode we start talking a little bit about um the philosophy of psychedelics and how that might be um how we might start to have a kind of philosophical inquiry around the female experiences of tripping i also just wanted to qualify that um erica makes quite a clear distinction in her work between sex and that's biological sex and gender Um, and that's an important distinction to make and um, I think when talking about sex and gender, this is a very big topic in our in in feminism right now, and uh, I'm all for open and inquisitive and and exploratory and respectful conversations around these topics. And I would be really open to having any kind of conversation about this topic. Um, I have in the past been kind of hesitant about whether to use the term woman um, or whether to equate womanhood with menstrual cycles um and yeah the the jury is still out on that I think of course 
I want to be respectful of the fact that not all women have menstrual cycles for many, many reasons. You may be trans, you may be postmenopausal, you may have had a had a hysterectomy. Um, so there's many reasons why women have don't have menstrual cycles, and and be, the experience of being a woman is much wider than menstrual cycles. That being said, my experience as a woman and Erica's experience is to have a menstrual cycle. So. Um, just keep in mind that when we're talking about this we're very much coming from our personal perspective um, and that isn't to invalidate or or somehow um, criticize or yeah invalidate anyone else's experience um, of womanhood so yeah I just wanted to make that distinction all right hi Erica <laughs> hi how are you doing good how are you I'm so happy to finally be speaking yeah, I know. It's been a it's been a long like time in the making. I feel like we've been kind of dancing around each other on social media. <laughs> for a year now. Yeah. Yeah, for a whole year. Wow, that's crazy. Time goes so fast. Yeah. Um, but you're in California right now? Yes, in California. And it's been a crazy year for me. I have migrated between four continents within two years. Oh my gosh. So- from Europe to South America to North America to Australia now moving back to North America but I'll be in Europe next year so it's I'm I I'm a bit of a nomad right now which I'm resisting I don't want this life I want to root down and settle I'm very I'm a homebody and I like to have seasons and home and so yeah um I'm in a bit of transition right now but I guess life is always a bit of a transition so yeah sounds exciting um, your family in California yes yeah born and raised in the Bay Area um, I grew up moving a lot I've lived all over the U.S. but the Bay Area is home I went to high school here and was born here so this is definitely home whenever I get back to San Francisco I'm, mm-hmm. I feel it in my bones it's, it's a good spot it's changed a lot I've seen it change a lot um, but it still has magic it's still a good spot a lot of people complain right now about how hectic it is but it still has good there's when you walk on the streets people interact with you so much and you meet incredible people and there's just music everywhere and it's it's a really special place have you been to no I haven't actually I've been to California but not northern California okay I really love to at some point yeah visit yeah Yeah. (laughs) and you're going to be in Europe soon yes yes visit or to live Mm, to visit I'm going to visit for a few months and then I might be looking at some programs um, in Switzerland and Scandinavia, some anthropology programs. Um, Very cool. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to ask you, <laughs> um, what is spirituality to you and how does it manifest in your life or how does it yeah, affect your life mm. at all? Yeah. So I think spirituality to me is very cosmic and it's relating and remembering the fact that we are on this rock in space and that there's so much we don't know. And I think what's most spiritual to me is the unknown and um, the humility that comes with facing the unknown and embracing the unknown and being in this cosmic whatever it's I think that's very magical and and reminding myself of that regularly is a part of my spiritual practice and also 
noticing the beauty in life, just walking down the street and trying to pause and not even pause, but just noticing nature and um, people and beauty. That's, that's also a huge part of spirituality to me. And just the, the, the fact we're here is so mind blowing. I mean, every few weeks, I think I have a moment where I'm like, whoa, what the fuck is happening? What, where are we? Why are we here? What is going on? Um, what, like, why us? <laughs> um, so yeah, that, yeah, spirituality to me is connecting with, um, I guess, the fact that there's a lot of unknown that's bigger than us and um, feeling connected to that in some way. Mm -hmm. Remind, re remembering that is, yeah, that to me is spirituality. It's a very psychedelic answer. I like it. <laughs> Sometimes um, I can't help myself. Just, uh. <laughs> so, um, and then what um, mythical, mythological, mythical, actually, that's the word I was looking for, or historical figures or figure do you relate to and why? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I would have to say my ancestors. There's, so my mother is, a nerd about ancestry and she's mapped out our family tree back I think to the 1400s um, so I have this family tree that I look at every now and then and I love um, collecting stories of my ancestors especially the women who I w was never able to meet um, so I think about them a lot and their experiences a lot and um, so I have a tiny story but um, my great 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 grandmother was raped by her brother-in-law. And then from that rape, she had my great-great-grandmother, or no, great-great-great. And this was all in Germany. And the daughter of that rape came alone to the US in the late 1800s, popped into the Midwest, and um, was just this, like she was seen as um, illegitimate, and she was disregarded from her family, ostracized, and she came alone to the US and started a life. And when I moved to Germany a few years ago, I really felt connected to her in some way. And um, yeah, I think about her a lot. Um, wow. So yeah, I think, I think connecting, like knowing stories of your ancestors is, is to me very mythological. And, um, yeah. and I, like, I, I wish, I, I do want to look more into or study more about um, goddesses and things like this, but I, I haven't yet done that so much. So for me, it's, it's really rooted in, um, I guess, my, my family, my, my ancestral line. I love that answer. It gave me shivers thinking about that. It's so, yeah, it's so beautiful. Yeah. Mm. And yeah, and that your grandma was, oh, great, great grandma was from Germany. So you kind of retraced her, her path the opposite way. Yeah, yeah. And then my, my dad's mother died when he was 15 of ovarian cancer. And she was apparently this just super cool woman and I I feel like I think about her a lot and connect with her a lot and I it probably comes from the fact that I'm not very close to many of the w living women in my life mm -hmm. in my family sorry not in my life in my family um my my female family members and I there's kind of a disconnect and I don't know why mm -hmm. I think it's part of just our family dynamic but because of that it's made me connect even stronger to the loved ones who are past who I haven't met um yeah 
and also well it sits what it's it goes with what you were saying about wanting to be rooted um and i and i think as women today like we have this history this i mean it's just the history of the repression basically of of women in our family lines you know like we are living in their utopia completely um with the freedoms that we have to like sexual freedoms just just all all, all um things on the spectrum of freedom um so yeah i mean that's a it's a quite a big thing to kind of take on board or think about yeah i've thought about that recently i'm like okay i'm i can i can navigate around the world i can study what i want i can think what i want i can read what i want i can say what i want mm. if i was living a hundred years ago i mean one of my great great grandmas she was in a madhouse her whole life and that was in the early 1900s and i strongly believe that she was just an intelligent woman who um couldn't handle her mm -hmm. environment or her context and that was back when um your husband was legally allowed to take you to a madhouse and just like here she is so i think that's what happened to her and um wow. i think about that all the time i'm like if we were living even just a hundred years ago totally insane i would be <laughs> right totally insane and, yeah. and this makes me think about like the witch trials throughout europe and in north america like how much knowledge was lost from women especially how many intelligent women were just murdered it's so i was thinking about this on an ayahuasca experience recently and just feeling like deep pain and sadness and the other women sitting next to me were also um in the integration session they were saying how they also had felt like this deep that it was like it was like we were holding sadness of like mm -hmm. collective sadness yeah yeah and that was a women only ayahuasca retreat. That, was, that wasn't one that was um mixed oh. but they had us sitting on female on one side male on the other side okay but um yeah we can get into that i've noticed some differences i think in the way women interact with mm -hmm. deep, deep psychedelic experiences like ayahuasca versus men mm -hmm. um and i know that that's very controversial because i know that there's some people obviously who won't fit into those stereotypes or that mm -hmm. pattern but i, I do have noticed a pattern and um mm. i think that mm, yeah so i think that men and i don't know if this is whether it's from cultural conditioning or based on our biology or a mix of everything. But I think that when men do psychedelics, they're really, they're really striving for the ego loss as like the pinnacle experience. Like that is the goal. And that's like the most profound part of the trip is losing your ego and melting into the other and mm -hmm. just being a stream of consciousness and mm -hmm. uh, losing yourself wholly and realizing we're all connected. And that I think is, that is also very important to me and very central to my experience as well. And I've had a few ego deaths and they've been profound. But I think with women, when I talk to them about their experiences on psychedelics, it's, it's, that is something that happens to them, but it's not the pinnacle. It's not the most profound part of their experience. What, what seems to be more profound is like a homecoming. Mm -hmm. So rather than like a going out, or noticing the other, or wow, we're connected. It's more like coming in and like coming back into the self and taking care or, um, hmm. yeah, I think that there's something, I think that women 
we naturally, and I, I don't like that word because it's, yeah, I think anyway, based on our conditioning or tradition, just, I think that we think about others a lot. And I think like me in my day to day, I'm thinking about others all the time and I'm mm-hmm. probably overthinking about other people and how they might be feeling or if I'm going to affect them in some way. And um, so then the, the experience on psychedelic to come in and is very profound for me. Um, when you yeah. um, say coming in, it's, it's um, a sort of rediscovering of, of self or like of like a core essence it's like, I guess a core essence. It's, and it's, it is childlike and it is, um, I can't, I, yeah, I think it is coming back into self, but it's, I don't know exactly how to put it. I'm still researching this, but it seems to, I'm, I'm kind of connecting it to sex in some ways because I've noted, well, insects, if you, um, even just physically a man comes outside of himself, he, he, he comes. Um, he leaves himself in some way or he's outside of himself mm-hmm. and then with female experience um, it's internal it's internal and it's, it's coming in yeah. and so I think that there's some I think there's something there I don't I'm still exploring this and that's what I hope to do with my research to bring in psychedelic research with sex research yeah um, so maybe you could um, explain a little bit about your background and your research and like yeah introduce yourself a little bit yeah, yeah. So, um, um, where do I start? Hmm. <laughs> so, I um, have an undergraduate degree in communications, and right out of university, I was working in the music industry in San Francisco for a few years and selling tickets to Burning Man, and that was great. It was really fun. I got into all these festivals and shows, but the music industry was quite sexist, and my office culture was. Um, yeah, just quite sexist. So I quit and rethought about what I wanted to do. I was in marketing and content and communications. And then I got this job in Berlin at Clue, which is a female health startup. It's a period tracking app. And I worked there for, which what? I use it. <laughs> it's, it's great. It's a great app and a great company. Um, and yeah, so there I was managing their content. And we did a lot of surveys with Kinsey Institute um, so we had millions of users across the world and tracking their cycles and we were able to do a lot of really important research um, asking them about period taboos or about um, sexual identity or um, birth control so I was foreseeing all of that and then I started taking psychedelics regularly and that, happened, micro- that happened in Berlin like mm-hmm. I started taking them when I was younger. Uh, I first tripped on mushrooms when I was 16, but I started microdosing in Berlin. Okay. And microdosing at work in Berlin. And that's when I, I started feeling more in touch with my body and more uncomfortable in the nine to five office space. Maybe, maybe explain a little bit about what microdosing is. Yes, yeah. So microdosing is taking a bit of a psychedelic um, in a regimented way regularly and I was doing the Fadiman regimen and James Fadiman is um, a psychedelic researcher who's kind of the father of microdosing in some ways and his method is you take it one day and then you don't take anything for three days take it one day so it's one day on three days off Mm -hmm. and I did that for a few months back in what year was that now 
was that 2016 or seven, 2017, I think, mm -hmm. time. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so it's taking a psychedelic um, regularly and it's a very small dose, so you don't really feel much. You don't, you're not gonna trip, you're not gonna hallucinate. However, it really depends on the dose. Everyone's quite different. So some people take three micrograms, which is just a tiny bit of, I was using acid. Some people use psilocybin mushrooms. Um, I was usually taking around 10 to 15 micrograms. And I have to say, I was definitely feeling it in some way. Mm -hmm. um, definitely elevated mood. Um, it was easier for me to get into a flow state, feeling very connected with my body. Mm -hmm much happier and I, I was using this for moods um mood stability and i have to say it definitely um lifted me out of depression and yeah it was very useful for a set amount of time but now when i microdose it can give me anxiety and mania mm -hmm. so i don't do it anymore but i think that that time mm -hmm. and doing that in a set time frame um can be a catalyst towards change and but it's not a, like it's not an alternative to like it's not like a lifelong medication in your experience you yeah. know i think it's a good long-term solution for depression or mood um or mental illness i think that i think some people are take microdoses for years and years and years and they they use it in a in a healthy way and they, they maybe aren't using it for health issues and they're able to use it for creativity or productivity mm -hmm. um but I've noticed from, for me in particular, and I has, have recently been diagnosed with bipolar mm. uh, and for the ups and downs, it's just, it's too hard to navigate that. And um, if I take a microdose and I'm kind of down or feeling a bit, mm, I don't know, it can easily shoot me into mania. And that's, mm. I use, yeah. Yeah, there's not much, uh, as far as I'm aware, you, you'll know more. There's not much research on bipolar, like the interactions with, with psychedelics. And actually, it's probably, like a lot of people probably don't um, recommend it. Yeah, there's, there's not much. Um, I've, I think now, for me, my relationship to psychedelics is seldom big doses, mostly ayahuasca or mushrooms. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah microdosing for me it was I, I do have to say it was great for a certain amount of time because in that time I was very it be, I became more aware of myself more aware of my way of thinking more aware of the ways I could better take care of myself because mm -hmm. before I started microdosing I was just kind of reckless with myself and not taking very good care of myself so I do I, I did see a lot of benefit from microdosing but in the long term I um I think larger doses less often is is my it's my sweet spot for now at least mm -hmm. and then what about the research you were talking about was that about? Uh, yes um so the re well the research we were doing at clue was mostly related to female health and the menstrual cycle mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but then i started taking psychedelics at work and eventually ended up quitting my job because the nine to five dynamic for me it was a bit difficult and um microdosing didn't help with that um so my do you want me to talk about future research ideas as well or whatever, whichever you feel like, where, okay. do, where do you want to go? Okay. okay. Um, yeah. So the research I've been thinking about most in the last year or so is combining sex research with psychedelic research. Mm -hmm. So I want to see, um, I want to 
survey people and their interactions and interpretations of the psychedelic experience and see what that could tell us about sex, what that could tell us about gender, what that could tell us about by sex, do you mean biological sex or yeah, sex? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, biological sex. Yeah. And, uh, um, yeah, and I, it's interesting because whenever you start talking about sex differences, it can get pretty controversial. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I do think that there's something there. And I, I, I don't know whether it's cultural conditioning or hormonal or chromosomal or a mix of everything. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because it is a controversial thing to say that gender is not just a social construct, but it's certainly like I've kind of, I sort it's a kind of thing that I used to sort of like whisper, like, I'm not sure I believe that. Like, I think it could be empowering to know more about sex differences for both sexes. And I, I think that like, it's, it's important to distinguish between gender and sex. So gender I think is, is mostly social and that is, yeah yeah and and that you can okay yeah but then but then so so i like to focus more on sex because sex is a bit more simple it's like you have male female you have intersex um but it's mostly male and female so you really do have you really do have that binary that's quite present it's like 99 percent of people would be either either male or female um and and i think yeah and i think that if you i think if we i think right now we're at a point where we're a bit afraid of speaking about difference because it it makes us think about inequality but i think that we can i think that we can talk about differences in a way that's empowering for both people or for both sexes and doesn't need to be a taboo it doesn't need to be just because we're different we can still be treated equally and still Mm -hmm. each other well and and have equal rights in society but i think that women have been oppressed for so long and kind of told um our minds aren't 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 equivalent to men's or we're not capable of certain things or we hmm, we should be doing these roles or we should do this i think that we've been told that for so long in such a large chunk of history that now i think it would be really powerful especially for women to look back at maybe whether it's cultural conditioning or biology, look, look back and see, okay, this is how women are really special. Mm. And I think that psychedelics can be a tool to show us maybe mm. some of that, the, those, those differences. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've noticed in, um, so I did ayahuasca with, with the men and women and then just with women. And I think that there's so many differences that are worth exploring there. And I, obviously I'm biased and I can't just, report based on my own singular experience but i i've noticed some patterns that i think are worth researching further so that's what i hope to do at some point is um talk to men and women about their experiences and see if there's see if there are some differences because i i do think there 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 are some and um the ego loss is one thing i think women i've I've spoken to women about this and they're like yeah i experience ego loss in psychedelics but it's not I mean, I'm always thinking about others and I'm always know that I'm connected to others. So it's not this profound thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I don't think I've ever, I mean, is there some sort of categorization of like what constitutes an ego death experience? Cause I'm not even sure if I wouldn't even say, I wouldn't be able to say I've had one or not. I think there is, um, there, I forget who put together the themes of, um, Mr. Very psychedelic themes. There's like oceanic boundlessness, and the, there's there's a list. I forget if it's like seven or eight, but um, 
I think they have categorized this in some way. We could we could look it up, but um, for I, I've experienced it once, and it was just a complete. I don't even know how to describe it. I there was no I have no self. I was just stream of consciousness, and um, even thinking about my name would have been ridiculous. Yeah. Or yeah. yeah, and then and then when I came back from that and started kind of coming down and coming out of that, I was re- relearning myself relearning the world relearning what it meant to be a self and to exist and that was very profound and I was able to kind of say I was able to kind of laugh at my past and laugh at the me that I was and say you don't need to do that anymore you can move forward from here now like we can we can scratch what wasn't working or Mm -hmm. um was that on ayahuasca or or acid ayahuasca and And uh, was it like a high dose or a low dose or what, or what kind of dose? Quite a high dose. Um, so I don't know the exact dose because a shaman had given us the medicine, but it was two cups. So they always do the one cup yeah. and then go for the second. So it was after, after the second, I'm usually able to like go mm. deep. Yeah, it's funny. So I had an ayahuasca experience recently and um, I did it the first, it was two ceremonies, two nights in a row. and. I the first night I kind of like I was scared because I'd never done it before um and the first night so I I I went kind of I went kind of low I had like three quarters of a cup um and then I had this feeling of like well when I started to trip I had this feeling of like oh I know what this it was a kind of not not in an egotistical way but I was like oh I I I know what's happening here I'm like I've tripped I like I'm quite I'm quite familiar and comfortable with drugs um (laughs) and um I had this kind of feeling of like oh no I felt really good actually it made me feel really powerful like I felt I had this feeling of like wow you're a powerful person and then I kept on thinking like is this my ego is this like my ego just kind of like feeding me you know maybe what I like subconsciously want to hear and I was like I had this real strong sense of like no this is actually the truth like you actually have a lot of power Mm. Um, and it was almost like I was like oh gosh how is my non- my non uh, psychedelic self going to like cope with the power that I've just realized I have. It was very funny. I mean, like now it seems quite funny. And then the yeah. second night I, um, I thought, okay, well maybe I should do a bigger dose because like, you know, everyone, everyone has different experiences. And I kind of felt like mm. I want to have this like ego death experience. So I did, um, I actually ended up doing the same again because I was going to go back for a second one. And then I started coming up again and I had this feeling of like, I just don't want to, this is coming back to what we were talking about in the pre-call this pushing like I had this really strong sense of like actually I don't want to do this like I could you know send my brain into like out of space by like pounding it with like psychedelic substances but actually what my body was telling me was actually you're chill like just stop pushing the message I was getting was like what are you looking for what are you looking for like stop looking and there was these two guys next to me and they were both like purging and crying and my thing was like, these guys are looking for something. You already have it. Like, just go and live your life, um, which was a kind of interesting, like, thing. Yeah. yeah. I've had similar experiences before where after one cup, you're just like, this is what you're doing tonight. And you don't yeah. have to ignore and just you're okay as you are. And uh, it does sound like when you reconnected with your power, that that's what I'm kind of thinking of as like a coming back into your, mm-hmm. or like meeting yourself again or knowing, like, finding your essence finding your your energy your strength your power because i think for so long we've been told we don't have any as little girls and Mm -hmm. that yeah so that's what i'm thinking of is like that's the reconnect back um 
yeah and then you know because you know women from uh, yeah i guess talking about women in this biological way of like being even if you don't necessarily use this function but we have the capacity to create life and you know this we have it's almost kind of you know it's no wonder that kind of pre-christian religions saw god as being a woman you know so this power it feels it felt like a very feminine power like it was like this is this is something yeah so yeah i I understand what you mean by by homecoming now i've also had a lot of experiences on all sorts of drugs on lsd san pedro ayahuasca where i see um a lot of vulvas or i see a lot like i see psychedelic visions of vulvas vaginas um even sex pornographic images and that's also very powerful and i've spoken to one of the uh, men i was sitting with recently in an ayahuasca ceremony he in the integration session said that he had seen vaginas with teeth and Mm. and it was really fascinating but i think that the the vulva is a is an image that is that comes up for across culture across gender across sex for a lot of people so i do think that there's that that it, it, it's a symbol that's very important to the psychedelic experience and that's also something i want to look at into the research is where what is that like what is what is that um and also another thing that i want to look into is um so i've i in college i was drugged and raped and it was terrible and um but i didn't process it for years i just kind of as soon as the next the next day i just didn't think about it nothing like my it this is what happens when trauma though your brain has a very good way of just shutting it out yeah. that's not useful for you right now even after you give birth like your your body has a way of saying like, yeah get it. um so i with psychedelics i've been kind of reconnecting to my my root my vagina my vulva in some way in my sexuality and that's been a way of like reclaiming that mm-hmm. um and that is that's another thing i want to look into is um psychedelics for for sexual trauma mm-hmm. and reconnecting to that mm-hmm. that reconnecting to your sex in some way mm-hmm. um but yeah mm, a lot of powerful stuff happening yeah i also have um the first time I ever took mushrooms, I actually spoke about this, I think in the first podcast I ever did. Um, but the first time I ever took mushrooms, I was 18 on the beach in Thailand. And um, it was overwhelmingly sexual, the whole experience. Like it was just, like, I was sitting in the sea and like the waves were rocking me. And it was like this rhythm, this movement back and forwards. And every time I closed my eyes, I was seeing like women dancing and like, psychedelics have always been a really powerful um way for me to connect with my sexuality more now so because I don't really I would if I took a higher dose but actually sometimes nowadays I don't really trip in this kind of way that I did when I was 18 it's actually just I I feel like very in control I find it hard to like I had I'd have to take a lot to feel like I was out of control tripping it just feels like another version of myself that I'm very you know that I know very well I like sometimes I look in the mirror when I'm on mushrooms and I'm like hey you I know yeah. you. like it yeah. feels like finding myself again yeah. um, and so sexuality has been a really big part of my tripping experiences yeah 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 um in recent ceremony with women um some of the it was an interesting session because it was yeah it was all women and most of the women were quite a bit older in their 60s and some of them were moaning like having orgasm during mm-hmm. the experience and that was just like hearing that was like wow really powerful um 
but something I did notice in integration session, um, being in the all female space was so something about it was really special because, um, every, everyone spoke in a very succinct and profound way in the sharing session. No one really like overtook power or spoke at length for too long about, and, and when I sat with men, I sat in a ceremony once, um, men and women, 60 people in Australia. And <clears throat> uh, the, the next day in the sharing sex circle, only men spoke. Most of the men who spoke, spoke for about 20 minutes at a time. Yeah. And this is a circle of 60 people. So some of us were like starting to like, our hips were hurting and we're like, we need to move and <clears throat> what's happening. Um, and it was interesting to see the difference of, um, yeah, the, the men, I, I, I do have to say they, they took control, they took power of the integration session and they, they kind of dominated that space. And I don't, I'm not saying that that's inherently male or a bad thing, but it happened in multiple occasions, um, multiple integration sessions where the men fully took over that space and the women were just quiet and they were like, mm -hmm. we were kind of silenced in a way. And I was thinking a lot about like the silencing of women, even during the ceremony, um, one of the women started moaning and one of the male facilitators was just like, shh. Really? And I know that there's, yeah. And I know that there's like this idea of some, some, some shaman in some circles like to have like um, silence and that's like a rule, but it did feel like I, I saw that from across the room and I was like, I just started thinking about like the silencing of women and she was just like letting out like a purge or like letting out a cry or a yell. And it, it, it just sound, it, it felt like an oppressive space in some way and sitting with only women was so incredible because it was so gentle and I, I know that that's like a stereotypically feminine trait I guess that maybe it's, it's yeah. like gent being gentle is power you know yeah. to be like that yeah yeah so it was like it was like 20 women and we all we all spoke and whenever we spoke it was like probably five minutes each and mm. everything every single word every woman said was like so powerful and so profound and all of us were just so moved and but it was succinct and clear and it was relatable to the group and no one was yeah it was it was really powerful it was right, um, between um between giving and taking yes yes and yes. i've also and the the female circle was also with a female shaman and I mean, the, the word shaman, shaman, some people don't, it's problematic for some people, but um, the, the male shaman I sat with in Australia, in the integration sessions, he, um, a lot of the women had spoken out saying, one, one of the women sitting next to me, um, she was in her 50s, and she had an experience where she, she saw all these cows, all these cows' faces, and it was like all the cows on their way to being butchered or whatever. And she just saw all of them and she was like crying for the, for cows. And then another woman was crying for the earth. And then I also had a deep, I felt deep sadness for the earth. And we were speaking about these experiences and um, speaking about feeling for a sadness outside of ourselves, feeling for beings or the, the, the earth, feeling like holding a sadness that was beyond our physical experience. And some of that got a bit political because we were talking about like the oppression of women or the environmental crisis. And this male shaman was saying, um, he kind of dismissed our experiences and told us not to think about those things. And he was like, just focus on yourself, heal yourself. And that's all that matters. Hmm. And it was interesting because it's like, I understand that, I understand that you can do good by 
by taking care of yourself, but it felt a bit like he was putting his truth above ours and kind mm -hmm. of um, directing the way that we should have tripped and the way that we should have interpreted things. And it, mm -hmm. it seemed like with the, with the other facilitator, and this is just my experience. So I'd need to like get more data and research on this to just, to just know about the, the interpretations and the experiences of men and women. But, um, and this could have just been a one-off shaman who was just kind of maybe uh, a bit of an asshole maybe, but, um, he, uh, with, with, with the female shaman, she was just very open. You experience what you experience. She's not telling you how to experience it or what to interpret of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, anyway, there's, there's a lot to be explored there. And but I, yeah, I do think you have to trust your shaman. I, I, I didn't end up trusting that, that one shaman. And I had heard that he had also taken advantage of some women in that experience or in that space because it's a very vulnerable, vulnerable space. So absolutely. Yeah. No, that's yeah. not good at all. Yeah, the yeah. one time I've done it, it was with a female, with a female shaman as well, and I specifically like waited till I had the opportunity to do it with a woman. And then part of me afterwards actually was was like actually I would be ready. I feel like um to do that kind of experience in a male held space because actually like when I was in Jamaica on this mushroom retreat, that was also women. So most of my tripping experiences that are like therapeutic have been in women, pretty much women only spaces or at least women held spaces. And then I had this feeling of like, it'd be really interesting, especially in a kind of ayahuasca ceremony to, because I always play this summer, I, you know, I was on acid and I, lo I, I love kind of experience experimenting with, it's this sort of like tantric, like, yeah. um, like releasing and letting the kind of like, there was this guy playing music when I was an acid and I kind of was just lying there and practicing being open. Like it felt like this guy was literally like making love with me. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like really just practicing, really opening. So it'd be really interesting to try and do that with the physical man there holding the space. If I could feel vulnerable enough with him. Yeah. yeah. I think that it, yeah, it depends because it depends on if you feel safe and if you're able to let go. And that's a huge thing because there was, there were a few helpers, male helper, helpers in that space that were so caring and compassionate. And like, I had also experienced then like male gentleness and compassion. And so, so I, I was able to really connect with that, but I think that the, the, the main shaman himself was a performer and he mm -hmm. kind of mm -hmm. trickster to me. So I wasn't able to really fully, open um, open yeah, yeah. I, think, um, I think tripping this is something i tweeted about a while ago i think tripping uh, especially i mean i think there's like different levels of trauma but i feel like um you know i i definitely have kind of i i think we all have some level of sexual trauma as women growing up in our cultures um and i think tripping with good good like quote-unquote good men like healthy masculine energy whatever that means yeah and um, it's not like a it's not a defined thing but it can be really healing yes yes yeah i have experienced that yeah. and it it's very profound and um also i i, I have a twin brother oh really? so i feel very connected to the masculine and very even within me i feel very masculine sometimes so yeah. i do feel this strong connection to the masculine um, and on a recent, in a recent ceremony, I felt like I was back in the womb and I felt like I was back with my twin brother in the womb. Wow. And 
it was very, very powerful. So I think, um, yeah, connecting to the masculine and, and, and the feminine is, is, is so beautiful in these spaces. I think it's really interesting what you're doing or what you, what you're kind of aiming to do kind of with this kind of cultural anthropological research on, is it anthropological? Um, on psychedelics because um yeah i haven't i haven't i think we're having this kind of psychedelic renaissance with the, with the science and, and it's interesting to kind of look at these cultural elements to it as well yeah yeah, yeah. I, I definitely think that there's something at the intersection of sex research psychedelic research and mm-hmm. yeah I, i'm also interested in the men, like how the menstrual cycle impacts the psychedelic experience um mm-hmm. Um, yes this is a big one I was on my period for this ayahuasca retreat and like I was you know I was really freaking out actually I have a friend who works um on the ayahuasca studies in the UK and I was messaging her like is this okay like is something bad gonna happen to me um because obviously on the you know some some places won't accept you if you're a menstruating woman it was fine obviously (laughs) and I the shaman said it was going to be fine so so I did it but um yeah, it's, it, I, I don't know if that made a difference and what it would have been like at a different point in my cycle, but cycles are really powerful. So powerful. <laughs> I think that, and I think there is something, so some of the shaman I've sat with, if you're on your menstrual cycle, if you're, if you're um, on, if you're menstruating, then you, they give you a particular smudge or they try to like protect you in some way. But I do think that there is something to be said about like when at least for me when I'm on a period I feel like I want to ground I want to be safe I want to like take care of myself and kind of um yeah do do certain things to to make me feel like taken care of and when you're blasting off into DMT world you're kind of leaving that you don't have an ego to <laughs> you don't have yeah. yeah so so it's interesting the um you almost want to be in a space where you're like ovulating or you're feeling more open or ready to I don't know. Um, so much research that could be done around this, around yeah. cycles and psychedelics. Wow. What I mean, I'm, I'm like all ready to just like come. I'm like, take me with you. I want to re- do this research. Do it. Do it. Yeah, I think there's a lot there. Um, I, I sat next to this one woman who was on her period um, recently in an ayahuasca ceremony. I've done ayahuasca six times this year. So I haven't, I'm not like always doing it, but I, I have done it quite a bit this year. Yeah. Um, but she 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 wasn't able to really she she took a she took like three cups i think and she wasn't really able to to go anywhere or experience anything or have any uh, yeah so i think that she thinks that it was her period that was some people have that i think it, yeah. it's like i have a guy a, guy, a, a male friend who also had that experience so some people maybe just have yes. um it's like a genetic thing yeah um, i'm wondering if um we could talk because I really like how your this research or this interest in psychedelics and cycles is linked to the work that you did at Clue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just hope, wondering if um, we've kind of done enough. It really depends what level you're at because I mean, honestly, I mean, I had many, many years where I didn't have a cycle at all because I was on the pill. Yes. Um, and then I had a couple of years at least where I was not on the pill but also not really in touch with my cycles. And now, like, it's crazy how aware of, like, how aware I am of it. And part of me is, is kind of like, why would I, why have I created all this extra? Why have I made myself so sensitive? Because, you know, on the day, on the day my, when my period is due, I'm like so emotional now. And I never, 
maybe I used to be kind of like irritable, but now I'm kind of like just mo way more sensitive in a kind of not necessarily in a, I mean, it's such a negative connotation, isn't there? It's PMS, like you're just this bitch, but I actually feel very um, emotionally sensitive in, in, in quite like a, a powerful way in that I'm just like very in intuitive and in tune with like with other people. And, um, but it does make life more difficult. And, and like it, our work culture is not set up for it. Yeah, I, I think that being in tune with your cycle is, it's something, I, I was on the pill for 14 years, so when I was, I was either 13 or 14, they basically just put us on it, uh, just, you go to the doctor, and you're 13, and you're like, I have pimples, that's normal at that age, but they're like, oh, we have the solution, let's put you on the pill, Ooh, and um, most, yeah, it's just, it's, so I was on it for a very long time, and I even tried to go off of it, and all hell broke loose. I was just, mm -hmm. I couldn't even really function. Um, finally, um, this year I've, I've gone off successfully and I'm, I'm in touch with my cycle and it just feels so good to, to know where I'm at in my cycle, how I'm feeling. And I, I especially love around ovulation. I'm just like, mm -hmm. yes, I'm like, yes. I'm like so energized. And then even around my period, I feel like pretty good, but I also feel, I, I know that I need to like take care of my energy and it's just it's almost like an energy level thing like you just have it, it it's not consistent and work culture doesn't accommodate for this at all in work culture they think that or companies I've worked for it's like every single day you're the same mm -hmm. you got to be the same all the time always productive always yeah, like a machine just, yeah you're like a machine you show up every day and and clue was the first workplace where well, hopefully could, they would be on it, yeah. <laughs> so like, there were days where like it would be like I'm day two bleeding, very heavy flow. I feel like crap, and I don't want to come into the office, and that was like totally acceptable. That's cool. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, you would hope so, but I mean, yeah, this this kind of putting put on the pill thing when you're so young. I was put, I was, I mean, I say put on the pill. I think I also wanted to go on in that it felt like a rite of passage. It was yeah. like I'm growing up becoming a woman um um so I went on the pill when I was like 16 can't even remember like honestly I wasn't even having sex it was like and I didn't even have bad skin it was literally like to regulate my period there was some sort of like vague reason why I like I decided it was a good idea and the doctor was like yep here you go like here's your prescription and it's like it's such a it's such a violence because I remember coming off it I mean I kind of went on went off went on went. and I remember trying to come off it again when I was like 17 16 and it was just you know it just it was just so hard and I can't believe they put teenage girls and the amount of emotional kind of turmoil we're going through and you're you know you're you're not a full you're not fully grown yet no it's just such violence inflation <laughs> yeah that's what it feels like a violence taking hormones every single day it's just and and, and it is pretty new technology it's probably like 50, what is it like 50 70 years old so I mean we know it's safe but we don't really know what it does quite yet and, yeah. and also yeah. you know define safe does it exactly. does it you know does it give you a fulfilling life or does it just stop you from getting pregnant and doesn't give you cancer well actually and that's not even necessary it gives you blood clots it gives you all sorts of other yeah. things yeah and we have no idea what it is I, I, there's just so much we don't know and mm. it's, it is yeah uh, I I wish I didn't I wish I was never on that for so long I mean it was I, I did start having sex quite young um so I am glad that I didn't get pregnant at the yeah. age of four but um yeah 
Hmm. Yeah, and um, and then coming back to psychedelics, I feel like um, it feels like very empowering. You know, having just said, you know, I'm kind of like, why, why am I doing this cycle thing? Like, I wish that I could just kind of carry on like I was before and just be unaware. Um, and the reason why it's important and and important and empowering for women to know about their cycles is so that we don't get pregnant without being on the pill you know you can you're so much more in control of your fertility if you know when you're ovulating and when you're not ovulating and and when you're fertile when you're not fertile you know I didn't even know until actually I had to I had a um I got pregnant and I actually didn't even know until that that um that you that, that when I was ovulating that the middle of the month was like the time when you're ovulating like how did I live for like 25 years and not know that um so that is a good argument for knowing about your cycles yeah yeah I mean there's we're as a culture and society we're kind of in the dark when it comes to the female cycle and I while we were working at Clue we did a lot of videos where we'd go out to the street and do interviews with people and just ask some questions about the about the cycle and the amount of people who didn't know what ovulation or menstruate like it was it was mind-blowing how many people were just like I don't know and and it I mean, every woman is different. So some women, um, but we're, we're only fertile for a few days in the month. Like we're only fertile for a few days. And some people thought, or a lot of people think, oh, you're always fertile or yeah. they don't know when or how it really works. And just, yeah. I'm can live in your system for five days. Yes. So take that into, Clue has taught me this. This is a great app. This is a good like advert app for Clue. It is, it is. Yeah. <laughs> so the fertile window, I think it's like, it's like two or three to seven days. So some, sometimes like if it's really strong sperm and it's like a hospitable environment for the sperm, then it can live for quite a long time in, in you. So max five days though, or is it more than that? I think, eh, I thought it was like three to seven or something. We'll have to ask Anna. There's this woman named Anna and she works, she's a researcher at Clue. Um, yeah. Yeah. We'll ask. That's definitely, so you mean these things are important to know about. Um, oh. Oh, and what do you use for contraception now, like since coming off the pill? Condoms mostly. Um, or I've actually been quite celibate the last year, so I haven't really needed it. Um, but I will be if I. Right now, I'm actually I'm taking because I'm going through a divorce right now, and we talked about this a bit earlier. But right now in my life, I'm trying to I mean you can't really plan what's going to happen I mean I could meet someone next week and fall madly in love and like do the whole thing all over again but right now I'm trying um, I've had I've had pretty bad heartbreaks and pretty I'm noticing a pattern in my romantic relationships and the way I attach to men especially and I'm trying to kind of address that and solve that and I know that when you're trying to heal or solve relational trauma or relational issues it's it's best to do it in relation. So in my, hopefully in my next relationship with a man, I'll be able to, to kind of work with that. But right now I'm trying to, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to focus on myself and healing and going through this divorce and not really, I haven't been very sexually active. And um, yeah, so right now my contraception is um, abstinence probably, yeah. but, which is <laughs> like, it's a very effective one. <laughs> yeah, it's a very effective very effective one but um but i'll probably be yeah condoms even though i just i just don't love condoms to be honest um this is a i mean this is this conversation is kind of going this way and i'm 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 happy um this is a big one because neither do i yeah Um, and several people in my life my mother and friends have told me that it's unfeminist of me 
to not like condoms. Um, <laughs> and it's, been, it's been it's like a real trigger point for me because I'm like, well, it's it's it's, it's I mean, like I, I don't that doesn't make any sense at all to me. Oh, I mean, that's like it, it's 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 what's feminist is what I mean. If it if it doesn't feel good for you, then. But it's, I think it's about like respecting your body. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I mean, it's better to be safe. I mean, this is like a, this is a, this is a big topic, but um, recently, and it's very easy for me to say this because I am in a relationship at the moment. Um, but recently I've, it's part of the, part of this process of like coming back into my power as a woman and part of my trauma, the, some of the trauma I have around sex is this kind of confusing message that was given to me by feminism. And, and that's a really broad thing to say, but that, you, that it's okay just to have sex with whoever you want and, you know, sexual liberation. And like, and actually I think that led to me putting myself in situations where I wasn't being respected. I wasn't respecting myself um, and I didn't understand, you know, it, 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 was, it was devoid from a wider conversation about love. Yeah. Um, and um, so recently I've just because getting pregnant was a real wake up call for me in that because I was like if I don't want to have a baby with this person and they won't even support me through the process of having an abortion why the fuck am I having sex with them yeah, there's, there's this one um, I'm trying to think of her name right now she wrote a book called Time Travels I read recently and she's a feminist philosopher out of Sydney um, maybe I'll look up her name but anyway she she thinks that feminism needs to look back towards um, biology and evolution in a way that it hasn't mm -hmm. in order to move past being strictly in the cultural realm. And I think that that's really interesting because I think a lot of feminism lately has been um, kind of ignoring biology and kind of saying, yeah. we're not biologically determined, like, let's not, like, yeah. you're not your cycle, you're not this, you can use birth control, like, you can be a free will yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. But it, yeah yeah but it's but it's so interesting because it's like um coming away from that and and actually returning to the physical and returning to looking into biology and looking into our evolution and like kind of being humble in the fact that we are animals and we're not just these cultural intellectual rational thinking beings we, we are we do have systems that are um controlling or that we are embedded within so i think that returning back to that knowledge in that space is really really empowering and i think it's something that feminism hasn't been doing and i think that um what's her name um i'll look her up because i think it was a it it made a lot of sense to me the fact that um feminism at some point should look back into biology and evolution in ways that it hasn't i i, I read it like a year ago um oh elizabeth Gro gross oh I've, I've heard of her Elizabeth Gross yeah yeah no um and I think it's all about self-awareness because you can be aware of this without being defined by it like if I'm aware and this is an awareness that I actually have like been thinking about a lot if I'm aware that my body like if you think about mind body connection my body wants to have a baby like I have this like every month when I'm ovulating my body is like come at me I'm ready for it and my mind is like no and I think like being aware of like that is something that my body wants um yeah. and it's and it's and it's about my relationship with my body um, and it doesn't mean that I have to then go and do it 
yeah. but being aware of it is just it's just you know it's empowering yeah it's empowering yeah i think i think the awareness yeah you're right awareness is key because i mean we we can't yeah yeah and i think a lot of modern fe feminism and i do consider myself a feminist but a lot of modern feminism detaches from that bodily connection in some way it's like no no no, no. you can just be in you can be in this rational state of um yeah. or you can shape your environment by force of will like there's this thing of you know this is a it's, so i went to a gynecologist in germany and i was talking to them about birth, her about birth control and i said like you know i had the coil and it was really uncomfortable and i'm using this like blah blah, blah. and she was like she had this kind of German way. She was like, well, what do you want? You're, you're like, you're, you're denying nature. It's like, it's just not going to be comfortable. <laughs> Whatever you choose is just not going to be comfortable. And I was like, I literally was going to be like, what are you Catholic? Like, what is this? And then I left and I was like, do you know what? Like, it's true. You know, it's, there is the, you're, you're obstructing your body's natural function. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that, I mean, it's, as long as you can manage the discomfort, there are things that are going to be more uncomfortable than others. You shouldn't have to be in, constant pain like I was when I was on the coil but actually I use the diaphragm now and it's mildly uncomfortable sometimes but it's manageable so I mean of course but to think that I could just have this it's a very con a consumerist idea right like I just want it to be perfect and I don't want to, have to feel anything because but it's it, that's just not going to happen yeah it also feels very masculine in some ways to be very um to kind of control your environment and control your space and mm -hmm. um to just find a way to, to level everything out and just to be the same all the time in some way. It, yeah, it's interesting. I've noticed this as well in the workplace. Um, I've had some female bosses who are great women, but they were kind of mimicking the style, the masculine style of um, authority in some way, rather than, um, I don't know, to, I don't want to say this in a problematic way, but, but I, I've seen, so Ida, who's the CEO of Clue, she's an incredible woman and she, was the first example of a female leader who I've seen um, be open, be vulnerable, be emotional, share power, spread power, or not power, but um, responsibility throughout the company in a really, in a, in a, in apparently, and she's Danish, and apparently this is like common in Scandinavia, mm -hmm. but as like me from the American work culture, I'm like, what is this? This is incredible. Mm -hmm. But um, seeing that was really, was really, incredible because um yeah I've, I've often seen women just kind of replicating the male style of things and I think that like with managing your fertility that's that's I think that there's got to be some middle ground of being aware and being able to feel empowered without necessarily um losing that connection in some way or losing respect you know yeah. like yeah. this thing of oh you know there's been a couple of times recently at work where um it's been like really difficult for me and I've said oh this is really difficult today is really difficult for me it's the first day of my yeah. period and like I work in this kind of conscious like scene or whatever but it's still very difficult for like men are like uh okay and then I feel annoyed that I have to like blame my period for because I can't deal with this shit that day yeah. um but but yeah and then it somehow makes me feel like I've um belittled myself or you know, it's, it's a tough one. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Because you don't want to, um, you don't want to blame or you don't want to be so embedded in the cycle that like you, 
use it as an excuse to, oh, today I can't do anything. Because it's also like when you're talking to, yeah, when you're talking to a young girl who's like running track or something and she's on her period, you don't want to say like, oh, you're on your period. You're not going to do as well today. You want to say like, no, give it your best shot. And like, you can do anything any day. But at the same time, it's just it, like, it's what you said. It's the awareness. Um, and it's being able to talk about it. Like the taboos are so, one of the period surveys we did at Clue was around period taboos. And we, um, we got, I think it was, over a hundred thousand responses from all around the world and people were telling us about various euphemisms for period mm -hmm. and just like just even in the euphemistic ways we talk about periods uh mm -hmm. that that says so much in itself um i'm on the rag or um mm -hmm. the painters are coming or there's so many different ones um yeah flow yeah. um the fact that we can't even talk about this and it's I, I do think psychedelics like bringing psychedelics back into the I do think psychedelics could open up these conversations and open up conversations around sexual differences and in a way that's empowering for both for everyone and I think that they could show us more about ourselves and reveal more about ourselves in in ways that we don't know I think a lot of the research right now it, it is there is some psychedelic research going on to find out the keys to consciousness or find out um, explore what 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 consciousness is but i do think there's also ways we could use it to explore what it means to be to be human what it means to be male female whatever a person from x yeah well because there's so much um it's still like we were talking about the vision quest i did earlier um and one of the main kind of takeaways from so for context the vision quest is when you spend uh, it was, I did a group process. So it was 10 days. So you do three days preparation. It was in Dartmoor in the UK. You do three days preparation with a group and then you do four days and four nights fasting alone in nature. Um, and then you do three days integration when you get back. And so obviously you've got three days and three nights that like, no, four days and four nights where you're just with your own thoughts. Um, and one of the, cause obviously you're fasting. So there's this thing of like denying your body something that it, needs um and the main thing i mean there's a whole story around this but the main takeaway that i got from that experience was this was kind of this relationship with my body and understanding more about how my body is a thing with its own intelligence mm -hmm. uh, that my brain doesn't understand and like it has its own need like i was just saying about the pregnancy thing it has its own needs it holds feeling it holds my emotions that i'm not even aware of but then suddenly like they're coming you know when people have a lot of people i have a friend who's got stomach really bad stomach problems yeah. she's kind of going through this process at the moment of realizing that i like is because she pushes a lot of her emotions down and like that was my experience so i was like pushing i like physically could feel myself pushing my emotions through my like down my throat yeah. and my digestive system so this thing about your body being um uh holding your emotions i can't remember how we got into that but yeah i mean this this thing about your body your oh that's this is what i was saying um i think that this is still like this is without any drugs and i feel like this is so this is almost like kind of a radical thing to to be talking about like scientifically like yeah. scientific i don't think there's scientific scientific um uh i don't think this fits very well into our scientific paradigm you know like we treat our body as if it's like a collection of parts that like when one is broken you can just fix it like you can take a drug that fixes it or you can have an operation rather than looking at our body as like a system 
and it's all connected including our emotions um, and then, like that's so um we're just not even there yet like as a as a culture that's still quite yeah. new yeah I think that's why so many people are going to eastern medicine um in some ways mm -hmm. and i think that also it has a lot to do with um i was at a conference recently and this woman from scotland was there and she she's an herbalist and she's very connected to herbal medicine and in her in her talk she was saying that western societies because of the witch trials we've we've lost so much health knowledge we've lost so much medical knowledge about ways to heal ourselves in a more holistic way that now we are having to look to the east to find that and to take care of ourselves in a more embodied whole system way and it's 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 wild i think we're we're, we're getting there i think things are changing but I read in a perspective and it was like, um, oh, who was it that, oh, it was actually the shaman that I did the vision quest with. She said like, there's this thing of we've lost it, but it, we have, we've lost it in the fact that it's not culturally something that is understood or recognized, but it, we haven't lost it in that it's still, we, we have it, like it's inside of our, it just proof that exists in us. So it's about, it's more about like an uncovering and a rediscovering than a finding. Yeah, it's so interesting. I think about this a bit on, in deep psychedelic experiences, even on a microdose, um, you're very in tune with your body's needs and you're more connected to, mm. to the different parts of your bodies and the signals that it's, it's maybe telling your brain that your, or your, your rational mind might usually ignore. But um, so when I'm on a bunch, when I'm on LSD, if I'm hungry, there's only a few things I can really eat. I can only really eat fruit, nuts. Bananas. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> oranges. Yeah. So it's really in, in um, when I was microdosing at the office. So usually when I'm at the office, nine to five, sitting at my desk all day, I'll have a thought will pop into my head that might say like, "You should get up and go for a walk. You've been sitting for four hours." But when I'm you in sober state or whatever, I can I can kind of shut that thought away and just push it down and say, no, you're just gonna stay sitting in this desk. When I was on a microdose, as soon as I had that thought, I would be like getting up. It's, it was I, I was so directly connected with my needs of, of my body. I would as soon as I had the thought of go for a walk, I would be out the door. Um, yeah, the, um, when I I had a coil like a like a is that what you call it in the US as well? The copper, a, the copper coil. Yeah. Yeah. I had that for about six months um, and like when I got it inserted I mean I, I had a friend who got it recently and she was absolutely fine everyone's different but it was the most pain like this and I'm quite good with pain um, but it was the most painful thing that I've ever experienced and I was literally limping like my dad saw me three days later and he was like are you limping like your face is all white so I really should have kind of read the signs that like this wasn't right for me and it took six months and when I finally got it removed was I did a mushroom trip and it literally felt like the mushrooms were like checking in like it was like a you know it felt like a if you I was to imagine it as like a cartoon it was like and it like went straight to my womb and it was like this needs to come out it was like pulsing and it was like it was almost like it had been identified like for an object yeah. and I was like okay fine I'll finally listen to, to what my body has been telling me all this time but I couldn't get the message like the mushrooms really like made me aware of it yeah yeah I've had I've had that experience with ayahuasca too I one time I had a it felt like I had a snake going through my body and just scanning everything and I even in my thigh I like felt it inside of me just mm -hmm. doing a full body scan of okay what's happening here and I've been having some thyroid issues and so there was like a lot of there was a lot of movement and shaking in my 
in my neck. And that was, yeah, ayahuasca and psychedelics are just really powerful medicine. Um, it, it physically yeah. as well, like the, like the next day after ayahuasca, I usually physically feel very different, not just mentally. Like I physically, my skin looks different. My body feels different. My joints, my fascial system. It's mm -hmm. just wild. Yeah. You make me look good again now. <laughs> yeah, I've met I met someone in the ceremony who had definitely been doing it too much. So I think I have to be careful about how much I do it and how much time I take between. Um, because a lot, but but when you go to Peru and do it in the Amazon, um, you'll do it many many times within. That's my that's my I think that's where I want to that's where I want to go and do it next. Um, I'm I'm like kind of flirting with that idea like I, I i made a resolution not to fly this year but i said that if i was going to fly it would be like one return flight and and like to do something like that would be like a good use of it i think yeah 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 hmm. and and then we've been talking for ages now but I'm gonna, i still want to i still want to um talk come back to this thing about the philosophy of psychedelics that we were talking about um and like maybe explain a little bit what, about what you mean by that and like what your in, in, inspiration is and and what your kind of hopes are in that field yeah so when it comes to the philosophy of psychedelics um the history is it's all male pretty much and it's it's really the male perspective and so we're talking about like huxley i mean terence mckenna who i love but um the, who else um well that's i mean just so people have yeah. an idea yeah, I'm, I think even just bringing in the female perspective and kind of addressing the fact that there might be some differences between those perspectives and kind of opening up the array of perspectives and interpretations of the psychedelic experience and how, what that tells us about what it means to be ontologically, spiritually, physically. I think that there's a lot there that is yet to be explored. Mm -hmm. And I think the dialogue and the conversation so far has been quite limited and very centered around ego loss as like the, that's like the, that's like the gold nugget that, you're, that people are trying to reach. And I do think that the, the female experience in particular is a bit more varied. And even if you just look at physical reactions to ayahuasca, when I was in a room, half men, half women on each side, all the men were upright and all the women were like, our bodies were doing different things. Our hips were moving in different ways and we were reacting in a bit more, emotionally yeah. physical physical way and um so even just even just visually there were, there was difference um and i i think that bringing in that sex conversation to um psych the, the psychedelic realm i think that philosophically is a very interesting space mm -hmm. uh, so that's my my kind of goal when it comes to the philosophy of psychedelics is bringing in and i think that there's other there's other people working in this space as well um women female researchers but i don't know i don't know what's happening yeah i need to know more i need to look into this more and see um mm. but, and, in, and philosophy generally is i mean like outside of psychedelics is a very male dominated space and yeah. it's funny because i went to like a public like public funded so state school in in, in london and um i never had the opportunity to study philosophy it wasn't even really like it was something that i like you you know the the word yeah. Uh, but it was never on my school curriculum um, and yeah. it was never something I had accessed and then and then and then obviously it becomes this huge thing that is because it's it's very intellectual and my, my my housemate is actually a philosopher um yeah. he's 
PhD in philosophy and yeah. it becomes this sort of like gatekeeper thing. Yeah. Like, you know, you have to know this, you have to like understand every single like, like philosophical theory and like from, you know, Socrates, Plato to, you know, Heidel to whatever, in order to have access to this, to this, um, to this frame, framework of thinking so like what I, what the question was there was like how do you understand philosophy as a um verb is it a verb? Oh, yeah um for me i'm i don't know I, I think that it's hard to pinpoint it i guess um for me it's it's thinking about what it means to to be alive so i guess it's very ontological in that sense of like what it means to be and um also thinking about ways we interpret meaning and beauty and mm-hmm. um, space and time um but i'm i'm also so I, I i just recently dropped out of graduate school and i'm probably going to go back in 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 some way at some point in time but um i did find that it was my brain doesn't work in the way that it I, maybe it's my memory that's not so great, but I'm not very good at regurgitating references or um, maybe I'm maybe I'm just young and don't have experience yet, but I'm not very good at, <clears throat> he said this, he said that, she said this, he's, I'm not very good at that on, on the spot, bringing out, like, using that encyclopedic knowledge. Um, so, so for me, it's more, uh, I guess, I guess for me, it's, 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 it's not just, the rational thinking and the rational mind it's also an embodied experience of like mm-hmm. what's happening um it, for me i like returning to the physical so that, that, that's something that i'm thinking about a lot right now especially with the psychedelic sex stuff but it's like um how can we return back into matter in a way that goes beyond the academic or the rational realm the scientific realm um so i don't really know where my space is and i don't really know where to fit into that space um but philosophically i think it's really interesting um i I actually i pulled up the wikipedia for the philosophy of psychic or yeah philosophy of psychedelics and um it's i'm pretty sure it's all men um maybe i could just oh yeah have you yeah there's um thomas de quincey who wrote the um yeah i read that that's me yeah i read that and it was what did you think about it? I forgotten because it was first, like first year of university in my English degree. Yeah, I found that it was. I mean, I read it, and it. I mean, it was because of the time. It was. It's. It, it's kind of hard to to relate to that type of um. Text, but um, yeah. There's like yeah, Leary, Ramdas, Huxley, um, De Quincey. There's a lot of crossovers um, with with spiritual traditions as well. Sorry, what? And I think there's a lot of crossovers with oh. spiritual traditions. But yeah, no, I think it's it's a really super interesting um, inquiry that you're going on. Um, and I, I'd be interested to like, not necessarily now, but at some point here, you're like, like show me some people that maybe interesting people that are working in the space because uh, yeah. like women specifically, yeah. um, this sort of humanities angle to... Um, yeah psychedelic seems like a really worthwhile contribution to the psychedelic renaissance yeah yeah i think what what for me is the most interesting part of the philosophy of psychedelics is like the interpretation like how we make meaning from those spaces and how we interpret them after and integrate them after Mm -hmm. and like what does it mean like 
I, I don't know, I, I had a DMT experience where I like, I went to outer space and I came back and that changed my life. Cause I'm like, okay, there's a lot we don't know about. Um, and that kind of brought spirituality into my life in some way, because before that I was like more of a materialist, if I can't see it or feel it, then what is it? But now I'm, yeah, it's completely shifted my way of thinking. Okay. I think maybe we'll draw it to a close. Okay. Is there anything that you, um, like, will really want to talk about that we haven't brought up yet? Mm. Not really. I think we covered quite a bit. All right, that's it. Thanks for listening. My name is Tom Rogers-Johns and I look forward to sharing another episode with you soon. Bye.